Hello and welcome everybody to today's webinar, Insights into Growing and Optimizing Medicinal Cannabis Crops. It's a co-op production between Ovinext, the Cannabis Cultivators and the Green Tech here live from Amsterdam. Uh, before we dive in, let me just say that we hope that everyone will be able to follow the discussion without any problems. To improve your internet connection, all programs that are not in use should be closed, uh, especially your VPN connection. Should you experience any technical issues, please report these in the chat associated with the call. Our support staff will be happy to assist you. We are very happy that you're all here today and we want to hear from you. We will be using polls to get your feedback during the discussion. And of course, you can also ask questions. Please use the Q&A channel in the call for any questions uh, <coughs> related to the content of what is being discussed. If you have a specific questions for one of the panelists, don't forget to mention his or her name in your question. The GreenTech team is standing by to record all the questions you might have. Uh, even if your question is not being addressed in this webinar, uh, we'll try to answer the questions after the webinar. So to summarize, the chat is here for technical issues. The Q&A is here for the questions related to the content and for any of the panelists. Just, uh, just know that the webinar will be broadcasted live on Facebook. It is, however, not possible to vote on the polls through Facebook. Uh, the recording of the, this webinar will be available within a few days via the website greentech.nl. Uh, finally, after the webinar, we will send you a questionnaire asking for your feedback. Please fill that in and let us know your thoughts. So without further ado, today we'll be speaking of the medicinal cannabis uh, state of the cannabis industry. Uh, amidst the COVID-19 virus, which is affecting, well, everybody worldwide. So we'll discuss challenges and opportunities when it comes to cannabis cultivation and other cannabis-related businesses. Uh, just to make sure, today's webinar is divided into two parts. After the introduction, first we'll look at the state of the cannabis markets in specific regions all across the globe with different experts. The second part of the webinar will be hosted by Sonny Murenhout. It's going to be a discussion around all cultivation aspects and the latest developments. For you, my name is Julian Koster, Vice President, uh, International Race at Ovenex, and I'm the moderator for the first part of the panel. I'm joined here, well, not in this room, but by two rooms, Federer by Sonny Murenhout, Managing Partner at Cannabis Cultivators, and Mariska Dressler, our host for today's webinar. Uh, Mariska, it was great to see you in person again. Can yes. you please give the audience a short introduction and explain how GreenTech is dealing with the impact of uh, this pandemic? Yes, of course. I'm very happy to, Jurien. Thank you. Well, a very warm welcome to you all. Thank you so much for your presence here at this Green Tech Talk, organized together with our main stakeholders in medicinal cannabis, inclusive Ovinext and cannabis cultivators. As we all know, we just cannot replace the great experience of Green Tech as a physical trade event with approximately 500 exhibitors and over 13,500 expected visitors from 115 countries. We as exhibition organizers, Rai Amsterdam, and I personally very much believe in the power of meeting each other in person. But this is the current situation and we fortunately can reach out to you via this online medium. And although it's getting quite crowded on the highway of online events, I am so glad that you turn to us and find the time to be connected with us. You are part of our Green Tech community and we are very proud to have you here. I am Mariska Dressler, Director of Horticulture Green Tech. 
Up from the beginning of GreenTech in 2014, we plan to be your connector the whole year round. So next to our physical events, like via our online talk shows, our monthly newsletters, the marketplace on our website, live streaming of summits, etc. Now with COVID-19 hitting us, our online tools are the gateway to reach you. This is the third day of what should be GreenTech in Amsterdam. Can you imagine? Well, we have developed three great and inspiring moments that focus on your profession in horticulture. Monday, we had the second Autonomous Greenhouse Challenge, and the, this is a prestigious innovation accelerating competition of growing crops with AI. And yesterday, we took a dive into the world of controlled environment agriculture and its important contribution in providing a safe and secure food production system to feed the world. Today, you will be informed about the current status of medicinal cannabis, the industry. Is it still a green rush and how to optimize your crop production? But before we start the actual program, Jurian, I am very interested to see who we have as an audience at this moment. Shall we have a look? So let's bring up the poll. Yes. Well, maybe nice to know uh, is that we had about, well, we have uh, 2,500 registrations in total for, uh, for the webinars for the three days and uh, from 100 countries. And our top five now should be um, the Netherlands, Mexico, US, Canada, and the UK. So how do you think the split will be? What is your idea? I'm hoping for more people, hoping, I'm guessing more people from Europe. I especially okay. think people from Germany are very interested in what we have to say today. So. Well, let's have a look. Okay. Well, quite a majority of Europe and North America, South America. So, well, there's a, there's a, good, uh, there's a good split, I would say. Don't you agree? Good, a good guess, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's have a look at the type of visitor we have in our midst. Okay, so here, what would be your idea, Jurgen? Yeah, here I'm expecting a lot of growers. And if I think about last year's Green Tech, also a lot of investors from investment companies. Yes, well, normally at Green Tech Amsterdam, we attract indeed the growers, the investors, and a lot of business to business, the technology suppliers. Uh, well, let's have a look what the outcome is right now. Oh well, that's. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's it's a good. Very well uh, divided. Uh, sorry. Very well divided, I would say. Yeah, very, very well divided. Yeah. Well, good to know. Well, this is to uh, to get you already a little bit uh, familiar with the polls because they will come on later on uh, in the program as well. So, but uh, I would say, Jurian, take it away. The first part. All right. So now that's being done. Let's say. Let's start with the introduction. So my name is Jurian Koster. I, uh, I work for a company called Ovinext. We are based out of the Netherlands. Um, what my company does is that we make full spectrum cannabis extracts provided to us by the Dutch government. Uh, can you please show me this? Thank you. Uh, here you can see we make uh, GMP full spectrum cannabis extracts here in the Netherlands. Um, but that's, I think that's enough about me. Let's introduce the first panelists we have today for the specific regions, which is Robert Hoban from the US. Hi, Robert. Good morning. I'm doing great. It's good to see you. How are you today? Good to see you too. 
Um, I'm, my name is Bob Hoban. I'm the founder and president of the Hoban Law Group. The Hoban Law Group uh, is the world's first cannabis-only commercial law firm uh, with 17 offices across the United States and 10 offices around the world. We focus on mergers and acquisitions, building the global cannabis supply chain regulatory and policy, having drafted legislation and regulations for over 35 countries around the world. In addition, I'm the founder of Gateway Proven Strategies, a company that helps Fortune 500 companies navigate this space from a supply chain perspective. Uh, and then last but not least, I host uh, the Hoban Minute, a weekly podcast focusing on the global cannabis industry uh, with over 3,000 downloads per week. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here. Let's move on to our second one, Laust, from, to talk about Canada. Laust Dom, are you there? I'll ask again, Laust. Thanks, thanks, thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm sitting in Canada. Originally, uh, I'm coming out of Denmark. I have a horticultural degree from there. Um, I've worked um, many years as a crop consultant uh, with the main focus on vegetables. But since, uh, since uh, 2014, I uh, started to work with uh, licensed cannabis producers in, uh, in US and Canada. Um, today, today, I'm working as a COO. Um, I'm a founder and co-owner of uh, licensed producer Medicine. Uh, we are we are producing our cannabis in Ontario, Canada. Uh, we have a production capacity right now at uh, 18 million grams of dry flour and biomass. Um, we are business to business, so all our production is sold to, to other licensed producers and brought to both the, the, the medical and the, the recreational market. Our, our goal is to be low cost, high yield and high quality as a licensed producer. All right, great. Thank you for the introduction. Let's move it on to the person from all the way from down under who defying all time logics. Emily, are you in the house? I'm here, thank you, Jurian. Um, it's, uh, yeah, great to join you all today, despite the time difference. I've definitely uh, worn many hats in the medicinal cannabis industry here in Australia. Um, starting off as a consultant um, back in 2016 when it was first legal and then joined uh, Canatrek full-time. It's been a really incredible journey with Canatrek um, as one of the first movers in Australia that we've managed to navigate all the, the regulatory burden and um, now we're cultivating and distributing medicines around Australia. Um, so it's actually been a, a fantastic journey. My background um, is in horticulture and research. Um, so I've been a, a, a grower in ornamental horticulture, a researcher, and even a teacher at a uh, university before um, joining the cannabis movement. All right, great. Then last but not least, our final panel member, Cholling Aglins from Europe slash the Netherlands. Yes. <clears throat> Good afternoon, uh, Jurian. Good afternoon. Uh, uh, happy to be here. Yes. Um, I'm the CEO and the founder uh, of Bettercan International. It's the Dutch company that is growing medicinal cannabis for the Dutch government. Uh, we'll explain a little bit more about that later also. Um, we are in business, uh, in the medical cannabis business already since 2003. We build up a lot of experience. We are a specific indoor grower with a uh, high focus on, of course, on quality and consistency of 
uh, cannabis varieties and producing them. Um, part of our products are going uh, as flower to patients directly through uh, pharmacies. Another part goes to pharmaceutical industry for um, preparation purposes, so making oils and tinctures uh, from it. That's basically what we do nowadays. We are operating from four different facilities uh, over the country, up north where we started, uh, in the middle of the country where we have our biggest uh, production facilities, and in Amsterdam where we have our offices for um, business, but also our laboratory for research purposes. All right, great. Well, thank you very much for your introduction. Well, thanks to all of you for your introductions. Uh, I would now like to invite you all one by one to go through a uh, Q&A with me where I will ask you some questions and then I will also have some questions from the audience if there is. Uh, let me start with uh, Bob Hoban again. So, uh, Bob, how would you say that the cannabis market in the US is faring amidst this COVID-19 crisis? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, we have seen the cannabis industry flourished during this time. It was deemed quote unquote essential uh, by a number of governments around the United States, which was um, interesting considering it was deemed a gateway drug just a few years ago, and now it is deemed an essential business. We've seen more than 20 states designate this, but we've also seen the highlight between medical and adult use uh, businesses in the United States recognized uh, to the detriment of the adult use businesses on the, under the essential designation. Now, as we look forward and we look at some of the economic numbers, uh, we've seen the, the economic numbers increase dramatically um, over the past four months during the COVID scenario. Okay, and, and would you say, you kind of said it already, but you experienced a slowdown in the market since in, in 2020 or, or quite the opposite? No, we've seen steady increases in the marketplace since the beginning of legal regulated commercial cannabis here in the United States, state by state. Um, so we've seen that continue. We saw a massive spike in March and April uh, due to the COVID scenario, but then it's, uh, it's continued to grow, just not as rapidly. Um, so it, it's been quite an uh, impressive economic scenario. Uh, and again, the essential designation is attracting investors to the space in droves. I, I can I can definitely can imagine. What would you say is now the biggest threat slash obstacle of the cannabis market in the U.S.? Is it federal well, or? Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. In the United States, the the cannabis market is stymied by the fact that we have the federal government standing in the way designate this as a controlled Schedule One substance, um, and we also have an election in November. Um, that election. Uh, could go either way. It's probably a, a, a toss of the coin to see who wins that election. Uh, and depending on who wins that election, uh, cannabis policy could change. It might not change. Uh, we don't have strong political leadership at the federal level. Um, the issue also is not only the legality, but it's the regulatory side of things. Who controls the regulations? Uh, is it the state's is it the FDA, our Food and Drug Administration, or something else that uh, will, will shepherd this through? But certainly the federal government has been the largest impediment or obstacle to date. I think that's not solely to the US where the federal government is the biggest problem. Well, let's not dwell that on that too much. Um, Robert, as an expert, what do you think are the most promising aspects of the markets? Well, I see a lot of things happening. In the United States in particular, we see something called the Safe Banking Bill, 
which is being discussed that will open up institutional capital, that will open up the public markets in the Northeast, the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange to this industry. It has not occurred yet. Um, so we watch that. We also watch something called the States Act, which will allow states that have marijuana programs to continue to um, do what they do. And that would not be deemed a violation of federal law. So those things uh, tend to open up the market dramatically and bring in enormous amounts of capital that's sitting on the sidelines waiting. But the most promising thing I have, yeah, I, I think I see is the Latin American market. So much of the focus has been exports to the European market or to North America. Uh, between Brazil, Mexico, and Colombia, there's over 420 million people with nationalized healthcare systems that sponsor the use of medicinal cannabis. Uh, Mexico's legislation is nearing finalization. We've helped craft that, so I can tell you that that will pass by the end of the year. With over 400 million people and nationalized healthcare systems supporting the use of medicinal cannabis, that's an enormous, enormous market for patients. And one last thing I would note is that history tells us that cannabis will continue to thrive. The marijuana industry in the United States had uh, evolved during a public health crisis in the 80s with our AIDS epidemic. Uh, the Great Depression ended, uh, and as it ended, we removed alcohol prohibition as an economic driver. And we've seen countries all over the world put uh, cannabis regulation and cannabis economy into their recovery plans coming out of our uh, global pandemic. So I think the future looks very bright for this industry, uh, just one step at a time. And as always, one step at a time from a government policy perspective, because this is a completely foreign topic to most of them around the world. Okay, Robert, there were my questions. And uh, now there are some, some there's a, we have time for one question from the audience. And I saw that someone asks, he sees that you have listed uh, Latin America as the biggest potential. If yes. you have to name one country, which country would that be? Well, I'd say Brazil 1A, Mexico 1B. There's 220 million people in Brazil and Visa, their nationalized healthcare system, issued the regulations themselves without the government leadership that was ultimately approved by the government. So when you have 220 million people uh, that need medicine and cannabis provides a, a, an option for those medicines and the nationalized healthcare system supports that, that's a massive economic driver for that region, despite their economic woes. All right. Thank you very much. Well, Robert, this is our time. Thank you very much for your insights. Thank you. And I'll switch over to Laos Dom from Canada. Hi, yes, Laos. Hey, how are same, you? Again? Same first questions to you. How is the how is Canada doing? Uh, Canada is thriving pretty good. I mean, this COVID has been uh, been kind of. Uh, a big challenge. Uh, challenge. We 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 got uh, also uh, essential status, which is uh, kind of fun to think about. But uh, yeah, uh, the the cannabis uh, cultivation and uh, all our dispensaries and online service has been uh, been going under this crisis, and um, and many of the stores and dispensaries have used um, curbside pickups or, or online service with with the mail deliveries. And um, the production sites have just kept on going. Uh, uh, it's it's quite a challenge, uh, quite a challenge to run it. Um, we did see kind of a boom in the sales. Uh, storages uh, got got emptied a little bit, which was which was really good for the uh, for the industry, I guess. Uh, and 
I think it was mainly people filling up all their storage at home, not being sure if they could uh, uh, buy buy cannabis uh, uh, legally, and uh, they they filled up the storage. Um, uh, medical patients make sure that they got all the cannabis, but it is um, it is an increasing market all the time, so it's really difficult for us to uh, to see what's what's going where. Uh, but definitely, cannabis has been using for treating um, anxiety. Um, and with this this COVID nineteen, I, I I think there's been quite a lot of anxiety out there, and, and a lot of cannabis has been used for that uh, um, purpose. Our governments, or what we have here, uh, controlling our our licenses is uh, Health Canada, and uh, what we just see that like if we have an amendment or or, or license uh, changes, it's been it's been slowing down under these crises. Um, I. I I guess they are sitting at home and, and maybe not getting as much done as they, they could if they were back in office. But, uh, but yeah, it's all yeah, rolling. Same problem here in Europe, uh, I can tell you. <laughs> it's all rolling and it's all going and it's, uh, it's fun to be part of. So, Lars, now I, I have a question for you, which is also a question from, uh, from Jorge from the audience, uh, which is, we saw earlier this year, we saw a lot of news regarding the downsizing of Canadian companies. Uh, we saw a quote unquote collapse of the stock market uh, in Canada. How are, how are things now for these companies? Is, is the market still ready for companies of that size? I think, I think it has to level out a little bit. Um, a lot of companies grew, uh, grew very fast and uh, a big dominance for it still from, uh, from the, the black markets, we call it, um, did that uh, the legal market uh, did not grow as fast. Um, there was a very slow uh, uh, rollout of, of, uh, of storage, especially point of sales in, in, uh, in Ontario and in, in Quebec that slowed down the market. Um, uh, but we're all getting, uh, all the licensed producers, we are, we are seeing getting more and more market share over the uh, uh, the black market, uh, but we still are going to need uh, quite some some help from the government to uh, to get it all into the the legal legal uh, market. Uh, quite a lot of companies um, have have had or have financial problems, and um, quite a few of them has uh, gone into uh, credit protection programs or even gone bankrupt or been sold off. Um, so that's that's uh, going on and it's probably going to continue um, overspending too much uh, uh, overproduction uh, expanding too too fast uh, I think as the biggest problems um, that being a licensed producer and competing with the black market is we, we have a lot of lot of um, cost uh, to to live up to all the regulations and and, and rules that uh, that comes with being li uh, licensed, and that's difficult to compete with that black market where there is uh, where there's no uh, no 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 regulations whatsoever. All right, so I have to skip my uh, my my third question due to time, but um, you, got, you kind of already said it. there is growth possible in the, in the market, but they have to compete with the black markets is what uh, what, I've heard, what I've heard, Um I would like to ask you sort of the same question I also asked Bob. Um, if it was you, what would you bet your money on for the future of cannabis? Besides, so I, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I really believe uh, uh, that we have to diversify and uh, we, we have to find uh, many different ways of, of, uh, of using, using marijuana or cannabis. Um, that, that is an important thing. Uh, so there's, um, with, in, in Canada, we have the new, uh, new regulations for, for uh, cannabis 2.0 and uh, where we have edibles and we're coming out with pre-rolls and, and, and tropicals and, and, and even drinks and stuff. That, that is important for, uh, for us. Um, I, I do see that the recreational market also grabs a lot of the, the, the possible patients in the market just because it is now very easy to, to get your, your products. Uh, that, that's, that's also a growing thing on the, on the recreational market uh, just to get um, more, more medical uh, patients that way. Um, and the exports, so, so countries are, uh, are decriminalizing cannabis all over the world. It's going pretty fast. Um, there is legalization for, for medical use uh, happening in a lot of countries. Uh, but also, I, I believe that uh, that in near future we will see many countries follow uh, Uruguay and Canada and and, and, and legalize adult uh, recreational use. All right, thank you very much. And a, a quick question from the audience: You kind of said it. So, you think the medical market still has potential in Canada on in, on the stock exchange and just in general? Yeah, I, I think absolutely, absolutely, and 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 and. The, we, we just have to be better at treating our, uh, our, our, our medical patients better. They're still paying taxes on their, on their medicals. And uh, maybe we need to, uh, you know, get, get, the, get this product tax-free for, for, uh, for the medical market. Well, that's um, a thought. That's yeah. a thought. <laughs> well, well, last, uh, last sorry. Uh, I'm going to thank you very much for your uh, for your for your time. I'm going to move over to Emily Rigby from Australia. So, Emily, how are you and how is the cannabis industry doing in Australia? Uh, yeah, look, um, the cannabis industry, uh, just like Laust and Bob uh, mentioned from there, parts of the world was deemed an essential business. So we've been operating as usual um, and, and busier than usual. Australia has done um, pretty well, I would say, um, through the COVID-19 um, pandemic, our government did act very fast to lock down the country and now we're seeing restrictions um, being, li um, being lifted. Of course, the, the equity market um, has not been in the best um, position uh, in Australia and, and around the world, um, but we are- Emily, sorry to interrupt, but it's possible that you uh, speak up a bit? Oh yeah, sure, sorry. Um, so Problem. the with the equity market, um, has been you know, frozen globally, but we're definitely starting to see that lifting. Um, it's really put an emphasis in Australia on the local supply chain. And I think that has happened around the world as well. But I think in, the, you know, in our emerging cannabis industry, we do have a very strong and resilient um, industry and you know, we do work together quite well, um, but it's great that we've been deemed an essential business and we have um, fared quite well through it, I would say, and are coming out the other side stronger than ever. Yeah, you really see a pattern with uh, essential business because Laust and Bob told me exactly the same in the US and Canada. So I guess they're uh, reconsidering cannabis to be essential uh, all across the globe. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's horticulture, it's agriculture, it's medicine. It needs yeah, it makes to be sense. essential. 
very true. I won't argue on that. <laughs> so Emily, um, Australia, New Zealand, there are, I would say, for, in cannabis time-wise, uh, pretty established markets already. What is, what is, uh, what's taking them? Why are there not more Australian companies uh, across the globe? Uh, look, um, we've definitely faced our fair share of setbacks um, with different barriers um, to adoption, um, to expand into the industry. Once we sort of have set those barriers out of the way, we definitely have a lot of advantages. So Australia and New Zealand have fantastic brand recognition around the globe for our you know, clean, green and quality produce. And so that would be the same for cannabis. Um, we've got really strong and innovative um, agriculture and biomedical industries. I do think we're quite well positioned to lead the world more in a, a high-end, high-quality GMP certified pharmaceutical grade cannabis. Um, it will be really important to have that EU GMP certification for Australia and New Zealand producers to have access to the full global markets. We're obviously really well positioned for the Asia Pacific. Um, we have a really great climate here for clinical trials. So I think there's a great opportunity to be doing a lot of research here to give doctors more confidence, um, not only in Australia, but around the world. But it will be critical to look at economies of scale and automation because we need to focus on low cost production. We don't want to see a repeat um, of some of the situations in North America, uh, in Canada. Um, we don't want to be overextending ourselves um, and expecting the, you know, the, the return, the price per gram um, to stay at inflated prices. So we really need to plan ahead for that. I can imagine. And what would you say is the most interesting development uh, currently in the Australian Oceanian market? Uh, look, in the last 12 months, we've seen a huge increase in the number of patients gaining access, in doctors being confident. Um, it's actually the next slide, I think. Um, um, for doctors being confident to actually prescribe cannabis, um, we're seeing increases in product diversity. Um, and of course, with more products on the shelves, we're seeing increasing competition and, and reduced costs. I'm always really impressed at the industry collaboration um, that we see here for an emerging market. Re really interesting to see the Australian um, government putting forward a Senate inquiry into patient access. And so we're expecting to see patient access just can, um, continue to rise. Uh, we're also looking at a proposal to deschedule CBD to be an over-the-counter medicine, and that will have a, a, a huge impact. Um, but probably what's uh, really of, of most interest coming up when we're looking at Australia and New Zealand is actually the, the referendum proposed for New Zealand in September that's going to be looking at the adult recreational market. And I think when we see the results for that, um, that's going to have a huge impact for Australia as well. And I think we'll see a, an adult um, use market open up in Australia within the next few years as well. It could very well be huge. Probably it will take them a couple of years to implement it, but still uh, could be very huge. Uh, we've got a lot of questions and I know you're more on the Oceania part, but I think you're most suited of all our panelists. We get a lot of requests uh, looking at Asia. Do you have any information if the Asian markets are opening up, uh, maybe an Australian-Asian connection? Yeah, look, I think there's a really huge potential for some of these Asian markets. I mean, um, 
if you have a look at some of the, the countries such as Thailand that are, that are moving forward um, in, in a great way, I sometimes wish um, our government um, had, had early on in the piece some of the same um, ideas that they're putting forward. I think we will be able to look at China as a, as a huge market. Obviously, they hold their cards a little bit close to their chest. Um, but I definitely think as soon as um, some of these Asian markets follow suit, as we're seeing so many countries around the world legalizing cannabis in some way, shape or form, um, specific, you know, more, um, more commonly for medical use than anything else, I think we'll see this, this Asian market will open up. And I think that's where Australia and New Zealand, for that matter, have that really strong brand recognition for some of those Asian markets when it comes to other horticultural and agricultural produce. And I think our um, cannabis medicines will, will um, be respected as a high quality product that people will be willing to pay more for in those Asian markets. Well, thank you very much for your time, uh, Emily, and uh, good night to you, I think. Thank you. <laughs> All right, last but not least, we have Chaling. Chaling, how is the EU and the rest and all the different members, member countries doing? Let's start very small. We are harvesting on a weekly basis still. Um, um, the product is being disseminated as a regular medicine. In, be, be very aware, it's either an API uh, and the dispensing through pharmacies in Europe is, is a true medicine, medicinal product. So um, that way, by, by default, an essential product cannot be taken away from, uh, from patients and their doctors. Uh, so we are at full speed uh, internally. Uh, externally, we see uh, that business is in Europe. Uh, where business is, business is as usual. Uh, obviously, there, uh, there are, there's still a, a lot of patchwork in Europe with that, to that regard, but that's, that's another subject. On, on the COVID uh, side of things, um, it's very hard to now uh, estimate what is happening in the market. We have little insight. Um, business goes is going through the pharmacies. They can tell you in a better way, but as doctors are just prescribing and people uh, are not able to, let's say, to buy um, at will, uh, they need a prescription. Uh, I don't expect a lot of uh, ups and downs in uh, in the business right now in Europe to that regard. All right. Um, there's been a, quite a hype on the medical market and, and just the whole market, but Europe is just medical at the moment. Um, how would you say the European market is looking now um, when it comes to market size? European markets are developing, and my next slide indeed will tell a little bit about this. Uh, this is the European report um, about 2019. It's an, uh, it's an MGBS daily report, uh, and it's, it's pretty correct. Um, the numbers you see here are, uh, are the, is the turnover at the pharmacies in Europe. So it includes uh, also the turnover of the of the of the growers of the, the companies that uh, that are selling and are wholesaling uh, and it also includes the markup of the pharmacies so it's not yet a very big market it's it's about a quarter of a billion right now and that counts for entire europe um, programs are coming online but it's going not that fast um, for instance look at the uk where cannabis was legalized, medicinal cannabis was legalized um, back in 20, 
and I have to say it properly, back in 2018, two years ago, and it's still a struggle for patients to get access uh, together with their doctors. There's a lot of, a lot of things going on, obviously, and uh, especially in those developing countries, uh, COVID might have an impact on uh, the regulatory uh, pathway they are taking right now. It's, it's, it's slowing down. The work is slowing down for people having to work from home, et cetera, et cetera. We all know that. Um, so that that might have uh, that might have some some impact on uh, on the speed of things. However, um, as this is a true medical market for now, um, I don't see a, a, a huge increase in growth on the medical side. Maybe on the CBD side, things will change in the in the near future. Uh, but also that is still subject to discussion among regulators as everything right now in Europe is a discussion among regulators, for instance, especially the European Medicines Agency is working on, um, on this matter, trying to unify matters, especially by producing a, um, um, a monograph for cannabis and cannabis products. Uh, that monograph is still not there, uh, so it's it's Europe is still a patchwork of regulations in that regard, or non-regulations indeed. And then I'm not even talking about recreational cannabis. Let's uh, let's save that topic for uh, for, for another day. <laughs> Take so much of our time. So, uh, well, final question for me: uh, What would you consider to be the biggest opportunity right now in Europe? Obviously, Germany is one of the, is actually the biggest opportunity right now, as Germany has a uh, has a has a regulatory approved system. Um, it came quickly online under pressure of court cases, um, so that is that is a real that is a real challenge where think where Germany uh, actually implemented reimbursement for cannabis as a true medicine. Uh, we see a quite high reimbursement rate in Germany also. Um, however, the, the challenge is indeed the regulatory landscape in, in Europe. And um, even the Germans have adopted a similar regulatory uh, system as the Netherlands, already implemented back in 2003, compliant with the UN regulations. And actually that sees to, um, uh, when produced locally, everything has to go through an Office of Medicinal Cannabis. The Office of Medicinal Cannabis is the mandatory, um, is the mandatory state agency that holds the monopoly on the trade in cannabis. A lot of people are saying the companies better can has a monopoly. No, there's no monopo monopoly position, nor for us, nor for any other cannabis uh, producer in, uh, in the Netherlands. Um, it's the monopoly. The monopoly is controlled by the government, and that is one of the things that is uh, that is basically slowing down your business. Kind of, you cannot openly do your business. The same applies to Germany, where they implemented a similar system. So be aware uh, when producers in Germany come online, they only have one client, just like us in the Netherlands. The, that one client is the Office of Medicinal Cannabis, and that office is responsible for um for uh, disseminating the product uh, in the direction of patients uh, pharmacies uh we have to are, cut you short here uh chilling due to time uh there were a lot of questions in the app regarding the uh, the medicinal tenders for both medical and recreational yeah but i think that's more of something they should ask either can directly and not so much for this uh, webinar for now uh i know there's not a lot known yet 
No. But I want to thank you very much for your time. And I want to move on to the audience poll and see what the audience thinks of all the, the current possibilities. And for that, I would like, ah, there she is. I would like to invite Mariska to, uh, to join me. So let's have a look at what the uh, audience thinks are the greatest uh, opportunities in cannabis at this moment. So I'm very curious about that. Was it just me? I couldn't hear you correct, but I don't know if that was just me. Some technical issues. Sorry for that. Yes. Um, Is that, do you hear me now? I can hear you and I see there are some people in the chat also well, complimenting you, but also on the, the connection. Is it just better? In case it's not working. Uh, Mariska asked, what do you think are the greatest opportunities in cannabis right now, if, if I'm correct? Exactly. We would like to see from the audience what they think are the greatest opportunities. So let's first have a look at what the answers can be. Uh, new cannabis medicines, uh, the cannabis 2.0 products like edibles and concentrates like uh, Laust was uh, talking about, the service industry, transport security lawyers like uh, Bob Hoban, auxiliary industry focused on the value chain extraction and uh, drying, for example, or the auxiliary industry focused on cultivation, so really the green tech. Um, so let's have a look at what the audience thinks. Do they agree with the panelists? Sorry? I'm wondering if they are agreeing with the panelists. Exactly. Well, what do you think, Jurian? I think it's very divided, but I can definitely yeah. see that this is your audience, considering yeah. the final, question, final yeah. answer. But you can see that uh, there's a lot of opportunities, that uh, it's a booming business. It's still a green rush. I can uh, conclude that uh, according to the, uh, to the audience. Uh, let's have a look at uh, the following poll. So which markets do our, um, well, does our audience think are the most promising at the moment? There's already been uh, said about, with the panelists, the experts, they, uh, they already shine their lights. But what do you think, uh, Jurian? Um, I'm a bit biased, so I would say Europe, but okay. I also seeing a lot of people tuning into the Latin American markets. Well, let's have a look what the audience says. Okay, well, you're right. Uh, the majority is Europe, but it's also quite divided. So uh, also here, a lot of opportunities worldwide uh, for cannabis and medicinal cannabis. So, well, I would like uh, to close the poll with, uh, with that. Um, and uh, I give you uh, the floor again. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So let's, let's to sum up what all the panelists and our audience polls concluded is there's still a lot of, still a lot of opportunities here in cannabis. Uh, what we see is that cannabis is deemed essential all across the globe, as our panelists said. Um, there's still most obstacles are still really much tied to the regulatory frameworks. There are all across the globe, uh, being on federal level, on a national level. And it's, it's really slowing down. COVID is slowing down uh, cannabis by quite a lot, which is still a problem. But overall, still very positive. Uh, markets are still growing. Uh, Europe, Europe is not growing as fast as, as some people thought. But all in all, still growing. And I would say that it's uh, very positive outlook from uh, from our side and uh, on that positive note i would like to conclude part one of the webinar 
and I would like to go on to part two of the webinar, which is uh, hosted by Sonny Murenhout, which is in the next room. Sonny, are you, are you there? Yes, thank you, Jurian. Thanks a lot uh, for the update on the cannabis markets uh, with all the panel members. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I will firstly introduce myself. I'm actually uh, born and raised in a greenhouse. Um, and did my studies at uh, Wageningen University, a master for plant sciences. And over the last five years, I traveled the world from Australia, New Zealand to Europe, to North America, USA, Canada, of course, for cannabis cultivation. Um, as cultivators, uh, we offer crop consultancy training and project management support. Um, this is all related to the next 45 minutes where we're gonna talk about um, the growing part, um, optimizing medicinal cannabis crops. And we're gonna touch base um, with topics as climate, substrates, genetics. And uh, I hope you all uh, will enjoy this part of the webinar. Um, we will do that with a one-on-one -on -one discussion a little bit with uh, uh, Jen Ayot from AI Data Grow American. She's uh, one of the top uh, growers in the world, if you ask me, who really understands uh, pharmaceutical and horticultural standards. So, Jen, thanks for joining. And can you introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you very much, Sunny. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with everyone. Uh, it's very sad that we cannot do it uh, personally and actually have this in, uh, in the Netherlands, but uh, it'll do just as well. So my name is Jen Ayat. I became uh, part of the cannabis industry uh, upon Colorado legalization quite a few years ago. Uh, we owned one of the first licenses there and then went on to consult globally. Uh, right now I am uh, under contract from American uh, in Canada. So I did uh, most of their global grow. Uh, everyone is probably familiar. We had a little bit of a bumpy uh, road, but uh, things seem to have uh, cleared up. Uh, so I've been consulting mostly on the GMP level, a lot of interest in the GMP, and we actually were one of the very few and first uh, GMP licenses issued in Canada. So we're very proud of that. Yeah, yeah good to hear. Um, uh, some first audience questions uh, are popping up and you already mentioned uh, uh, GMP. So Kate from Canada was asking, can you in a couple lines give a little bit more input with this term? So good manufacturing practices. So uh, usually in the states or in, uh, in countries or uh, areas that have legalized cannabis, you'll see a lot of GACP, which is just uh, the good agri agricultural uh, practices. So with the GMP, it actually has a lot more detail for regulatory, uh, a lot more uh, finite uh, details are involved in GMP certification. It's ensuring that your product is safe uh, you'll understand uh, a lot more other industries like pharmaceutical will have a lot more detail and a lot more uh, clarity as to what they expect from their products, as well as uh, food and beverage industry will also have a lot more uh, detail in industry regulations. So uh, we're a little bit further behind in the cannabis industry due to the fact that it's so uh, new. It's, yeah. Even though it's, uh, it's been around for a few years now, it's still a baby uh, as far as uh, in industry spec. Yeah, I think as an industry, we really need to adapt to this, uh, these standards from coming from the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's introduce the other three members um, in this part of the webinar. Um, let's start with Will. 
Will, can you introduce yourself to the audience, please? I think you yes, need uh, to... <laughs> yes, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in this uh, big world. My name is uh, Will Lammers, I'm uh, with the Ritter Group. I'm a technology guy uh, from education and I lived all over the world in semiconductor, compact disc, all kind of crazy stuff. And then I got into the, uh, into the growing industry in 2005, which I uh, learned actually that uh, it's quite a complex process compared to what I was used to as far as growing uh, crops uh, uh, in, in a very optimal way. A little bit about the Ritter Group. We were founded uh, 65 years ago. We are mainly focused uh, historically on greenhouses, but uh, because of the industry in the United States, we also do automation and indoors, which I would say in the United States is about a 50-50 balance. So we have uh, three product groups uh, for greenhouses. We do natural venting, screening, and obviously uh, irrigation, climate control. And that is uh, from the former uh, Hordimax brand, which is now called uh, Ritter Growing Solutions. And uh, that's the major uh, business unit of the Ritter Group, which also does the uh, similar processes on the indoor side where we, uh, uh, it's a little bit simpler to, to control crops compared to a greenhouse, in my opinion. So that's, okay. uh, that's a good, good subject we will talk about later in this webinar. Thanks. Yeah. Um, moving on to Rob, uh, Rob Quinton uh, from the Netherlands. Could you introduce yourself as well, please? Yes, thank you, Sonny. Um, I'm Rob Quinton. Business Development Manager at uh, Grodan. Uh, Grodan Rockwall um, um, is a, a supplier in Stonewall Grow Media. Uh, we have four factories all over the world. And we are delivering more than 60 countries worldwide. Um, we are developing also the cannabis market worldwide. Um, I'm responsible for uh, the worldwide market except North America uh, because we have already a dedicated team over there. And we are doing now some uh, trials at Wageningen University and um, we are generating knowledge, sharing knowledge with customers, and also starting up uh, trails of customers to compare different substrates with each other. Um, so, but, and we are launching a new product, but I will come uh, later on that part. Okay, thanks Rob. Then um, last but not least, the last uh, speaker in this part of the panel, Ying, all the way from Paris. Can you introduce yourself to the audience as well? Yes, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Ying, uh, CEO and co-founder of Plantic Biosciences. Um, Plantic is a ag biotech startup developing a, a new breeding technology to create uh, new stable plants much faster. Uh, the company is founded last year by myself and my co-founder, Dr. Um, Aditya Nayak, um, who is a molecular biologist specialized in plant sciences. Um, so our first focus plant is cannabis, which brought me to today's webinar. And I will be sharing some uh, insights into cannabis genetics and the challenges they bring to indoor cultivation later with you. Okay, thank you, Ying. So um, let's go back uh, to Jen. Um, Jen, um, talking about uh, cultivation, um, what are some uh, main challenges you are currently facing in your operating facility, for example? What are the key topics? Uh, some of the key things that we actually deal with on a daily basis is how to put the right amount of automation that will justify uh, the actual cost of the automation. So it's a balancing act with any business. Uh, how to get your production and your automation to kind of pair well and not have too much automation where it doesn't justify or you can never recoup the money, um, as well as uh, how to keep your plants healthy. 
since and they're such a high value crop. <laughs> so can you elaborate a little bit more on that, how to keep them healthy? So a lot of, uh, a lot of companies, uh, when you're growing in a high production method or a high uh, production kind of uh, rotation, you will actually have uh, problems that are existing in your greenhouses if your greenhouses are not adequately venting or uh, lighting and the plants will stress out as anyone who grows knows that one day uh, they're fine and they're happy and the next minute you walk in and it's like the sky has fallen and everything has just gone wrong. So when you deal with plant issues, it's always uh, a, good, a good way to always be uh, on top of it. So use a, a method of preventative instead of just reacting to a situation. So yeah. we're always looking for the new, new uh, ideas. So uh, Ling actually is extremely exciting as far as I'm concerned uh, for her technology. Ah, good. We will come back to that uh, later then. <laughs> so looking at all the aspects of uh, cultivation, um, which subject or which part of the cultivation needs special interest in really taking next steps as an industry regarding the cultivation and really boost yield and quality? I think it's going to have a lot to do with uh, the technology like the geneticists that are actually working on it like, uh, like thing, but also in using preventative uh, types of methods. So I know we're working on a few trials right now, which are extremely exciting for me. Uh, a lot of them started in Wagonen, uh, which we were there last year. Uh, so a lot of the trials have started there and uh, we're actually uh, progressing with them. Uh, this year, Copert has been a huge, uh, huge influence on that as well to try and maintain your plant's health without having to apply a pesticide. So it's extremely uh, exciting, the new advances that we're, we're coming up with. Okay. Yeah, good to hear uh, your thoughts. Let's uh, move on to uh, the poll and ask also what uh, the audience thinks about uh, this subject. So. Um, what aspect of the cultivation could have the biggest impact on growing optimization through innovation? So should they, should they focus on plant nutrition, or on genetics, or climate control, or more like Jen also mentioned, um, uh, autonomous growing, um, biocontrol, or even light spectrum? So let's see what um, the audience think about this subject. I don't think, is the poll already closed or are we still going through it? Okay, so Jen, looking to the results, <laughs> it's qu quite a few people are mentioning also breeding and climate control. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's, uh, um, it's going to be honestly a lot of, uh, a lot of it doesn't happen without the other. So you can't just say it's going to be the breeding or it's going to be the climate control. It's going to be a combination of everything because as as growers will know and understand, it's not one thing that breaks down. You never know exactly what stressed your plants. It could be something that started from the very starting material when you cloned it and you took yep. the first clipping. So it, it's a combination of having everything play along together very nicely and making it work uh, in, into the greater good to like progress it further. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. It's uh, the combination of uh, plant climate relation and the effect. So if you turn on one uh, part of the button, you will also need to change something else somewhere else. So yeah. it's all related to each other. And I think um, Will Lamas from uh, Ritter can really um, elaborate on that as well. 
um, because he's going to talk about uh, five revenue reducing mistakes in cannabis production and how technology could be of help over there. So, Will, are you there yes. with us? Yes, thank you, uh, Sonny. I'm here. I, uh, I'm, uh, like I said in my introduction, I'm in the uh, plant growing business, uh, which was new to me when I started in, in 2005. And we were made, uh, mainly focused on, uh, on vegetables, which is already a commodity for many years. Uh, if you look at the Netherlands, they are doing this in greenhouses already, uh, let's say, starting after the Second World War. And when uh, cannabis came up, which was a little bit unexpected in the United States, uh, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, the, the whole world was thinking it starts in Amsterdam first because you could get it there for many years. All of a sudden, uh, Colorado popped up. And uh, as everybody knows, it's, uh, it's, it's from state to state. And uh, what they open up as far as the legislation. And there's a big difference between Canada and the United States. In Canada, they kind of took the big stuff and the high-sized greenhouses and put cannabis in it, like uh, 30 acres, 12 hectares. In the United States, they're a little bit small scale. And if you look at the growers running these operations, they start with 5,000 square feet. And then they don't design the, the, the whole situation that they actually grow in the end to maybe 25,000 square feet. Yeah. So that's kind of, uh, you have to look at your end game uh, already right at the beginning from a financial perspective. That's what I, uh, what I mean with this uh, first slide, which is underestimating upscaling. I see a lot of new growers, especially in the U.S., who uh, kind of irrigate the way they did it with a hose, uh, with a watch. Uh, I need to irrigate 30 seconds. Sometimes they forget a day. To bring it all together, like Jen says, is, is quite a challenge. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is uh, what I also have seen uh, since 2013-14 uh, is that uh, people have a tendency to automate, and that has to do with the scale with slide number one, that they automate uh, each of the concepts of growing a plant, getting everything right all the time in, in, in separate uh, automation. And uh, that doesn't work very well. If you look at the complexity of, of, of plant growing, whether it's a tomato or a cannabis, it's all about the photosynthesis. Yes. And you have to uh, get your 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 uh, your, your uh, transpiration right. You have to that needs to be balanced with irrigation, with the the, the cooling of the plant, uh, which is ninety percent of the water you irrigate. The the nutrients you bring to the plant that need to end up at the right place. It's extremely complex, and in order to get that right and uh, kill the mistakes that people make, especially if they're new to uh, to automated growing is to integrate everything so we have one brain who controls this environment. There's many seminars right now about uh, uh, plant control and energy balance and uh, they all have these fancy words about it. It's actually, if you break it down, it's just an understanding how things have to always stick together and automations will help with that. And the next step would be, and I agree with that, is autonomous greenhouse control will help taking the, the, the magic away by having it done by uh, by computers who can do this much better. And I think that's getting very close. In my opinion, the next uh, three to five years, we will see that. And that will help this industry because we don't have the green finger people available uh, enough to, to grow the business, not just the cannabis business, but also the, uh, the, the vegetables and other areas. Then the next thing uh, I want to talk about is ROI. Uh, a lot of people, uh, this comes back a little bit between the indoor and the, and the, do I do this in a greenhouse or do I do this in, a, in, a, in, a, in an indoor? For me, it starts at uh, the location of where you grow this. Do I grow this in, uh, in, in for example, in Florida with 90% humidity? 
where I have a greenhouse and I even have to get rid of the, the, the free sun. The sun is free, that is correct, but the, the heat it brings in and the, the electricity I have to pay for to uh, keep it to low humidity and cooling, which uh, obviously cannabis is a very sensitive plant when it comes to humidity, that uh, it's very expensive. So you have to run your operational cost right at the beginning, see where is your end game and make those calculations and see if you're better off in an indoor or in a, in a greenhouse. Uh, a greenhouse might be cheaper, the sun is for free, but if you have to cool all the heat and humidity and light out by air conditioning, you might find a different sort of solution at the end of the calculation. Yes. Then irrigation. I mean, in, uh, what I've noticed in the, in, the, in, the, in the, especially in the United States, I think Canada was lucky to kind of copy a little bit more from the, from the vegetable industry, which was already around them uh, since day one anyway. What I see is a, a lot of uh, special fertilizers specifically for, uh, for cannabis and uh, all fancy names, and they do a great job on the marketing. I think the industry is, uh, is slowly learning that uh, there is uh, more manageable systems. I, I totally get it that we need to have the different uh, elements and the micro elements uh, to make it uh, as an optimum. But I think it's a little bit uh, over the top uh, as far as what I see in the, in, the, in, the, in the required fertilizers and how they do things. So there's a little bit of a learning curve uh, in, in the industry still where people have to find out that this is not as complex as we make it believe, let's call it that way. And then uh, last but not least, this again goes back to, uh, to what we do around the plant. If I could uh, plan growing, uh, let's say in seven categories to keep it simple, we basically have uh, the, the, the climate control, which creates what they call the vapor pressure deficits. How easy is it for the plant to transpire and get the irrigation going with the distribution of the nutrients to the plant? That needs to be lined up with uh, irrigation because 90% of the irrigation is the cooling. So we don't uh, overheat our plants and stress them all out. And beside that, we have obviously the lights and the CO2, which uh, fuel the photosynthesis process. And uh, what I see, especially on, uh, well, you see it both on, on, on greenhouses and as well as on, on indoors is the distribution. What you try to achieve is, uh, is a, a nice distributed, uh, let's say, uh, air distribution over the canopy of the crops. You see a lot of people who go with dual layer with racks, two or three layers. It's very important. You also see it on the vertical farming side of the house that these canopies are seeing the same uh, VPD, the same irrigation, the same plant control around, the, the, let's say, the plant in order to make it uniform and uh, have them perform similar across the whole room or, or area you're growing the crop in. That would be yeah. uh, my item number five. Okay, number thank five. you, uh, Will, for those five uh, points. Um, Going in discussion with Jennifer. Jennifer, uh, what do you recognize from these aspects from Will when you, you're traveling for your consultancy work? What do you see? I, I, see, I see the same thing. I, I'm a firm believer in uh, Ritter products. Uh, we actually use some of them in some of our uh, grows. I believe that uh, automation is going to protect the plants as well as your, uh, your yields and making sure that you put in, as we were discussing, the right amount of automation throughout the entire process, uh, not complicating things. It's, it's amazing because I love when Will talks about it because that keep it simple is, is spot on perfect. A lot of it is uh, cloaked and, and shrouded in mystery with growers and it's really not about that. They overcomplicate everything instead of making it very simple so that you can replicate it every time. Uh, as far as 
clicking the button and making sure that everything goes the exact same way every single uh, process is the only way to, to run a grow. I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. And uh, Will, um, looking to innovations and control, um, what, uh, what is crucial for indoor growing? Um, looking to your point, where do you need to focus on as a grower for indoor growing? Of indoor growing? Um, well, the one thing we learned uh, very quickly is uh, that we totally uh, misunderstood the fact that uh, plants transpire a lot more than, uh, than people in offices. So we are pretty much uh, already out of the gate. And now I'm talking in uh, Colorado 2013, a uh, factor of five too small on the air conditioning uh, calculation. So what you need to do is, uh, based on your plant amount, is calculate uh, your transpir expected transpiration and make sure that you create with your design of your air conditioning uh, an environment you can create through computer control. That's another thing which people get mistaken because uh, or make mistakes. We look at a computer gives an alarm if we can't make our humidity or our temperature, but we, we learned that actually the air conditioning doesn't have the horsepower to give us what we want. So that's where the design already gets into place. And, and the industry has learned a lot. There's companies who, I mean, I, I already did it uh, with, with, with the greenhouses. You, you always have to start with your outside climate when it's a greenhouse. If it's, uh, and you don't put the greenhouse uh, with systems uh, like, like pattern fan uh, dehumidification in a, in a state like Florida, because it will physically not work. So don't sell that stuff into states where it will not work. Just tell the customer, listen, this doesn't work. If I do a calculation, you're probably better off doing it indoor and then automate it from that. But that's all in the, in the numbers, right? I see it in vertical farming. I see a better start in vertical farming where that uh, gentleman I, uh, out of New York makes those calculations up front, which I think is a very good step because uh, yeah, you get, have to get that right the first time. So it's, uh, it's not rocket science, but it is uh, pretty complex. So as far as the indoor, I mean, I think it started in the United States because it was new. The United States is not so familiar to greenhouses other than growing flowers in them. So people have to get used to, uh, to, to greenhouses and that the sun is for, uh, for free. I mean, in the end, it's all about the calculation and it starts with yeah. the location, whether you do it indoor or, or, or greenhouse. That's the way I look at it. Yes, yeah, you completely agree with you, you Will. And um, Jen, how are you growing? Uh, what is your belief, indoor or greenhouses? It, it really depends on the area. <clears throat> it depends on what your, uh, your budget is. So I have grown indoor. I have grown uh, in greenhouse. I have grown in a hybrid uh, greenhouse and I have grown outdoors. So each one comes with its own set of challenges. I like them depending on the area and depending on the budget. Uh, each one has its, uh, its pros. Uh, some are a little bit more expensive to maintain uh, and to outfit, but each one has uh, pros and cons to go with it, depending on the area. Yeah, so um, maybe a good subject to also uh, include uh, the audience. So let's ask the audience uh, through a uh, poll what they think about growing medicinal cannabis. Should it be indoor or in a greenhouse or will maybe both work? So. What is the, does the audience think about this uh, this question? Probably the results will pop up shortly. I'm gonna say both. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's what I hear from you uh, guys is uh, you both think both is possible. Uh, growing indoor uh, depends on yeah the location, the, all the external factors. Of course, we have Germany where 
for example, um, by law, they should grow only indoor. So greenhouse is even not possible. So it definitely really depends on uh, where you are based in, uh, in the world. And that's something uh, we see back in this uh, poll result as well. Um, then looking to Jen, to uh, the last two, uh, conventional or closed greenhouse concept, what, what is your opinion? I'm not a big fan of closed greenhouse. Uh, I know for GMP, that's one of the things that we've been conquering uh, because a greenhouse is meant to actually uh, be, a greenhouse is meant to actually have uh, air vent out and uh, come back in. That's the, the beauty of a greenhouse. So in the summer months, it thrives. It's absolutely a, a beautiful place to grow your plants. Uh, but in GMP, you have to make sure that you can control every aspect and the air coming in and out is a, uh, a no-no. So um, I'm a big proponent of a hybrid greenhouse uh, moving forward because I think it harnesses the best of, uh, of both. Yeah. And well, what is your opinion about that, uh, Will? Uh, looking to closed or semi-closed? Well, I, I, uh, if, I, if I take out the cost, then obviously uh, to, to uh, maintain the ecosystem around the plants and indoor is much easier, right? Because you don't have the sun messing you up all the time. As far as humidity, again, depending on where you're at uh, through the four seasons of the year, right? If you're in Canada... And then, then obviously you have the, the winter, which makes it expensive. And then you have the four different seasons. The other thing which messes you up a little bit in Canada is the fact that uh, Health Canada talks about, oh, I can't vent because I don't want sand going into the, <laughs> that kind of very confusing thing. So technology-wise, how, how are you dealing with that, right? So what do you want me to do? To make it a closed greenhouse or put insect netting, which is totally against uh, making sure the humidity stays low because that's where I want my venting. So it's... Yeah. Uh, it's very complex and they, they shoot, the bullets come from all ends. Yeah, yep. indeed. And in the so, US it's, uh, it's a little bit from state to state because it's not, a, it's not nationwide, right? So uh, what I would do is the first thing I look at, uh, let's say a new state comes on is what is my market opportunity? If I look yep. at, uh, let's say, uh, what do you call that state? Uh, yeah. Oklahoma. I mean, there's like, uh, I don't know, 20,000 license holders and 5 million people. I mean, really? I wouldn't do anything right now until it sorts itself out and then say, okay, yeah. this is what we need for Oklahoma. So um, we discussed now closed and um, greenhouses indoor, but mm -hmm. uh, we get a lot of questions, uh, Q&As in um, about open field production. I have questions from Colombia, from Swiss, uh, from Asia. So Jen, um, is open field production a risk for the high tech market you are working in at this moment? Uh, huge. It's a huge risk. Uh, so the problem with open field is that if you haven't tested your soil, if you haven't tested your water, if you don't know who's around you and in close proximity, you have no way of uh, guaranteeing or minimizing your risk as far as your outdoor plants and, and what actually comes in contact with it. Uh, in Canada right now, currently, we are surrounded by farm fields. And the goal is to always be friends with the uh, neighboring farms, so that that way when they decide to spray, we can close our ventilation areas. So that, that way we're not uh, having any issues with cross-contamination or anything that is uh, not supposed to be close to our plants come in. So yeah. outdoor, I think you're gonna see a huge amount of regulatory coming down the pike uh, for that. Uh, I'm a voting member of ASTM. And we're coming up with uh, regulations uh, currently and voting on them uh, with regards to testing and what is uh, acceptable. 
So I, I always am of the mentality of being uh, proactive, getting ahead of that curve. And I think yep. with all the scares, with the vape crisis and everything, I think uh, you can't be too cautious nowadays. Yeah, I think uh, contamination is indeed uh, a true um, point to take into account uh, regarding growing open fields. Um, thank you, uh, Will. Um, let's uh, move to, uh, to Rob. Um, from Groden, he is um, the business development manager and he will uh, introduce us uh, even a new product through this webinar. So Rob, floor is yours. Yeah, thank you, Sonny. Um, yeah, water use is also a really important point because 75% uh, of a planet is covered by water and only less than 1% is available for man. And 70% is extracted for irrigated agriculture. So what we see if you grow outdoor, if you compare in the tomato industry to produce one kilo of tomatoes, you need 60 liters of water. If you have a greenhouse, you need 22 liters to produce one kilo of tomatoes. And if you can recycle the water in the greenhouse, only 10. And if you have a high-tech uh, semi-closed greenhouse, you only need four liters. So you see over here also um, the type of uh, construction that you have. You can also save some water. It's also a good, a good benefit for uh, semi-closed. Um, what we developed is uh, precision growing. And with, this, uh, with our products, you can give exactly the plant what it needs. So this is on my next slide. So um, with this concept, you can control the water content and EC in your substrate to boost the performance, uh, to have more yield of consistent quality, also reducing costs because you can uh, save on water and also save on nutrients. Yeah, and this is way better for the environment. And in the, in the past years, we did with uh, partners uh, trails at Wang University. And this is on the next slide, yes, thanks. We did with, uh, with uh, different uh, partners, with different suppliers, some, uh, some trails in, uh, for, uh, to the different uh, phases in cultivation. So what you see also in the left top picture is uh, the propagation. Uh, we did some tests over there uh, with different EC levels. So we started with the, the plugs. Uh, we start with the EC of zero, two and four to see what is the influence of the EC levels. And now we developed this into a advice for the grower that we advised to use at least the EC of 1.5. So all the information, what we gather in, that, uh, in, in the trials at Wang University, uh, we generate that in a kind of knowledge program uh, for, for the growers who are using our products. And um, we also have at the trials at Wang University running 64 sensors. So what we do, we collect all the data and we, um, we uh, com com uh, combine that with uh, the test results. What is, for example, the dry flower weight. And in that case, we uh, give the grower at the vice how to stir in his vegetable phase and how to store, stir in his flowering phase to get uh, the maximum result and the, the maximum out of his crop. And we also made some comparison between different systems. So for example, uh, drip irrigation compared with app and flood 
and also uh, tables uh, compared with gutters. And our latest development is uh, a product line uh, named uh, the Pro. We uh, developed this. It's rooted in science, science this, uh, this product. And um, with this product, if you compare it with the traditional products, you have an improved routing in. So it, it goes way faster because we uh, developed this product properties, especially for, uh, for cannabis. Also in the vegetative uh, phase, you have a more uniform plant development and you have way more steering uh, possibilities with the substrate. You can easy dry back, so you can have a really good generative reaction on your plant. And in this case, yeah, you have, you have more yield if you compare it with, uh, with, uh, with other products. So this, uh, yeah, we are very, uh, very proud that we uh, we developed this product for for the market, and it's, uh, it's available now. Okay, thank you, uh, Rob. Um, nice to see you go really from science to product. Um, Jen, how do you look at uh, substrates? How important is a substrate for your growing operation? It's extremely important, especially with trying to capture water. Uh, the substrate actually can be your biggest uh, first line of defense uh, at making sure that you can uh, recapture and not have too many difficulties with this. Yeah, then a question from the audience, uh, Rob. Um, how um, should you uh, measure? Is measuring or a really important tool for your substrate? Yeah, it's, it's very important because that is also why we used uh, 64 sensors in our uh, in our trails at Wagen University. If you measure something, you can steer on it. So uh, measuring is 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 key. Um, yeah, for uh, for for a really good result in uh, yeah in your in your different cultivation phases. Okay, and uh, Jen, how are you um, developing your irrigation strategies? What tools uh, do you use? You look at weather at your water content, how you set that up? Can you give some insights in that? It, it really depends on where. Uh, so at some of the location I work with, we do uh, dripper. Some of them we do ebb and flood. Uh, some of them, honestly, we do manually. We walk around with hoses. So it's a, it's a various uh, degree. It depends on what kind of water we have. If it's well water, if it's RO water that we're having to add things back in, if it's uh, community water that we have an ample supply of, uh, most of the people that I consult with and that I, I do a lot of work with, the goal is to always have them have a limited footprint and always be able to capture. So I'm yep. not a big fan of using too much uh, fancy uh, fertilizers and nutrients. So I keep it very simple and very yep. basic. Uh, obviously, they've grown outside for tons of years without any issue uh, and nobody fertilizing it and adding fancy vitamins to it. So. Uh, I try to keep it very simple, but we measure everything, regardless of where I am. And we also measure what we're uh, reclaiming as well as what we're giving out. Okay, thanks, Jen. I think uh, some still a lot of questions around substrates and irrigation uh, strategies, but uh, to, be, to be continued, I would say. Let's uh, move to our last uh, speaker in this session, Ying from Plantic Bioscience. Yes. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so today I will be sharing some of the most common problems uh, growers share with us related to cannabis genetics and breeding. So um, coming to my next slide, uh, cannabis as we know 
um, has been prohibited for most part of the last century, resulting uh, in its lagging behind almost all other major crops for about 80 years uh, in terms of scientific knowledge and development. So on the left, we can see very clearly that uh, in terms of varieties to offer around the world, cannabis is lacking a lot of the sophistications that other big crops have today, especially for large scale uh, industrial operations. Uh, the major problem there is the stability of the plant. Uh, we hear this a lot um, from growers uh, who would say, why are my plants turning out differently in the same facility? Um, unfortunately, this is the, the fact today. Um, growers that are used to having very stable hybrid seeds are, are not having the same kind of offer with uh, cannabis genetics today most of the time. Um, so the breeding targets are to obviously make um, the plants stable across the same harvest, but also to keep the same traits, the same um, uniform um, traits uh, um, across generations. And another thing that is very uh, specific to cannabis is to um, make the plants pure female so that we can optimize for the production of cannabinoids if that's the targets for the uh, production. And um, the second major challenge or breeding uh, target will be uh, the yield. Um, what's special about cannabis is obviously the cannabinoids and terpenes uh, production. We would like to optimize that. But in the future, um, also a scenario to um, make a specific mix for a specific purpose. Uh, for example, if we know that um, a certain mix of cannabinoids and terpenes can contribute to um, alleviating certain symptoms of a, of a disease such as uh, epilepsy, tomorrow could we build um, such a plant that contains the exact um, mix of cannabinoids quickly so that we can optimize the efficiency for production, for extraction, also ensure the quality of the finished products uh, because we can lower the risk of contamination in, in making the finished products. Uh, so that is a scenario. Other targets, um, one group is the uh, classic uh, agronomic uh, traits, such as more flowers, more seeds, and uh, more biomass. Um, another one is the growing cycles. Can we shorten the growing cycles? Um, can we adapt uh, the plant to uh, different climates, different lighting conditions? For example, uh, we have seen um, growers uh, moving their operations to um, Africa. We, we, we see that the lighting conditions are completely different from the European ones, so the genetics, they don't work well. So do we have a way to adapt that uh, quickly? Um, so this is the second uh, challenge. And the third one would be uh, the resistance to diseases. Um, for example, powdery um, mildew is probably one of the most uh, notable fungal diseases uh, in cannabis. It is estimated to um, affect about 20% of total productions in the US. Um, so today, uh, growers are mostly using generic um, pesticides, biological or chemical or uh, lights to, to uh, face this uh, problem. So tomorrow we will uh, want to create natural um, genetics that are um, just more resistant to uh, such diseases. So with all these sets of challenges, um, we have the question, uh, which is how can we close the gap um, in cannabis varieties uh, faster. If we are uh, using classic um, breeding techniques, it would take us somewhere around eight uh, to 12 years, depending on the trait or traits that we're looking for. This is obviously a very long time, especially for a uh, versatile plant that had so many possible applications. So our um, 
approach here, our challenge here is to develop a system where we can understand the plants uh, from a genetic level, find targets, um, and perform precise um, breeding. So that's, yeah, my part. Okay. Thank you, Ying, in uh, bringing us up to speed with uh, genetics. Um, Jen, what is your, your experience with genetics from cannabis, especially if you compare it with some other major crops like tomato? and cucumber, etc. It's extremely lagging. She is correct. Everything that she said is spot on. Uh, we don't have the, the industry behind uh, cannabis like all the other agricultural products do and flowers do, especially uh, coming from areas like the Netherlands where they have refined uh, flower production. Cannabis is, is lagging in so many different uh, areas. So I believe that that will be the next frontier for the industry is to uh, combat some of the issues as far as growing as well as uh, disease prevention to just re, uh, to basically move the breeding towards that. Okay, yeah, clear. So Ying, what are you, your next steps then in for coming to a new, um, to new cultivar? What, what, what are your goals? Yeah, so um, one of our daily job is to speak extensively to growers, both uh, for indoor and outdoor cultivations, to understand what are the most uh, pressing uh, challenges that they're facing. So all the targets that I mentioned um, before, I think they're all very, very important, um, but there are things that we need to probably tackle first. Um, I think in terms of um, Europe, or in a larger sense, uh, growing cannabis uh, in different locations, um, perhaps adapting for different uh, climate and lighting conditions would be one of the most um, big demands, I, I would say, in, in the years to come. Okay, yeah, that, that's a clear uh, direction. So let's um, take an, a question from the audience, uh, Jen. Uh, Marwa Mokta is asking about cannabis from seed or tissue culture. What are your experiences with that? So I've done all of them. Um, I prefer to do my uh, production lots in clippings. Uh, so taking them from clones, I believe that everything should be started from seed and then uh, any of your, your actual base, like your, your mother should actually be kept in tissue culture. I don't think tissue culture is there for high level production yet, but I think uh, as we start develop as an industry, it will get there because that would actually be the best uh, ability to actually have it go to tissue culture uh, like other industries have gone. Yeah, so Ying, is, the, um, is that something you're focusing on as well, uh, the tissue culture part, or is it really focusing on the genetic part? Um, yeah, so tissue culture is obviously very important. If we develop a, a good genetics, we would uh, definitely move it to tissue culture first. That's the first step of, of creating almost um, a, a new genetic. But um, ultimately, we are also interested in exploring uh, seeds because seeds um, is the lightest and, and most stable form uh, to transport a, a, a genetic. So um, I think, yeah, tissue culture and, and hopefully seeds um, both uh, should be uh, important targets. Okay, yeah, still uh, what we see from all these uh, uh, panels and questions is that there are still a lot of answers uh, to be found out uh, within the, the cannabis industry. Um, I want to thank you, Ying, for your contribution about uh, genetics and um, especially Jen. Um, thank you for all the, the answers you gave uh, through this panel, uh, the various subjects uh, we discussed. I think we uh, um, 
touch and based on growing optimization in cannabis, ranging from climate control with radar, substrates, uh, and genetics. Um, so I would like to thank everybody um, for their questions. Um, hopefully most of them are answered during the, this session. Um, as a final remark, um, by co controlling your growing climate, we, you can avoid mistakes, as um, Ritter mentioned by Will. Uh, we have seen that substrates can really help growers to increase water use efficiencies. And one of the most important missing links within the industry uh, are genetics. That's something uh, we also have seen through this webinar and the different questions that came in. So to uh, wrap up, um, I think uh, we will move on to uh, Mariska, who will have the last final words for you guys. Yes. At the last day of what would be green tech in Amsterdam, right? Yeah, well, thank indeed. you so, thank you so much, Sonny. Well, I genuinely hope that uh, this webinar was of inspiration and uh, really provides you the usable new insights as horticulture professional. Uh, thanks also to all the panelists from all over the world, uh, moderators. So Jurian, Sonny, thank you very much, and uh, of course the Green Tech team who worked very, very hard uh, to make this uh, possible, this webinar. And audience, well, I would like to thank you very much for your contribution with the polls and also to ignite the discussions with your questions. Together, we are the Green Tech community. Don't forget to fill out the evaluation form and share with us what you would like us to offer you in the near future. And also have a look at our Green Tech marketplace where you find all these well, great technology suppliers uh, from all over the world, inclusive the Dutch Formula One. Bye-bye from the Rye Studio in Amsterdam. I'm very much looking forward to meeting you soon again and stay safe and healthy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye.